When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to the weekend Football Social Daily review show. The international break has put the Premier League on hold this weekend as the final plans for Qatar 2022 begin to take shape. However, Despite being less than two months away from the big kickoff, England find themselves in the middle of what we're calling a mini crisis. Defeat to Italy at the San Siro means Nation League relegation for Gareth Southgate, but the bigger issues remain as more important with the three Lions experiencing a post-Euros hangover. No goals and very little in terms of inspiration. They were the big takeaways from Milan and we'll be delving into all of the reaction from that one as we progress through the podcast. Can England turn it around before the World Cup? That is the big question that supporters want to know. A crucial one against Germany awaits tomorrow night and some much needed positivity is hopeful as England wrap up their international window but it's not just international duty, a big few days for England as we also check in with the latest from the day job. Manchester United reportedly opening contract talks with Marcus Rashford and David De Gea as Arsene Wenger chimes in on Arsenal's season as he thinks the Gunners can win a first Premier League title in 19 years. Big bold claim from Arsene there. We're going to be chatting about that towards the end of the podcast. So plenty to get through as always on Sunday duty. I'm Fergal Brennan and in the spirit of the international season, call-ups all over the place, we've got ourselves an FSD debut. Football broadcaster and commentator Dan Windle. No pressure, Dan. It's the big one. It's all right. I'll play left side of a back three and we'll be just fine. It is. Well, we're going to be talking about someone that uh, played left side of a back three uh, in a few minutes. And I'm fairly confident Dan is going to not come in for as much criticism as that individual did. Uh, Alongside Dan, a veteran of Sunday nights, the Cafu of Sundays, (laughs) Daily Mail's northern reporter, Jack Gorn. Jack, how are we doing? Uh, Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Jack Cafu, it's got a certain ring about it. Yeah. Weirdly, I used to have on the back of my team's football shirt as a child, I actually put Jack Aldo on the back to much much ridicule at school. I don't know. I think I think just take it and run with it. Why not? Why not indeed? Um we're gonna kick off obviously with England, Dan. I'm gonna go to you first. We're gonna talk in detail about some of the issues or pot problems and the solutions that, that Gareth Southgate needs to find between now and when the first ball is kicked in Qatar later this year. But I just want to get your immediate reaction. 1-0 defeat away at Italy. This was billed as maybe a bit of revenge from losing the Euros final against Roberto Mancini's side. England are now relegated to League B in the UEFA Nations League. And the Nations League gets a bit of bad press or maybe a bit of positivity, depending on who you speak to. But there was the sense that 
this relegation was a, a sideshow to maybe some of the bigger questions that England are playing. When the, the final whistle went and relegation was confirmed and the England players clapped the fans and trooped off, what was your immediate take as the dust started to settle? I couldn't get to sleep Friday night. Don't know why, I was really struggling to get to sleep, so I thought I'd watch the England game again. No, look, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was an underwhelming, dispiriting night, wasn't it, at the San Siro for all of us. We weren't at it. I questioned our ambition and how bold we decided to be on the night against the, a limited Italy side. I thought, I guess there's an element of that that, that has to fall on the, the doorstep of, of Gareth Southgate. That comes from the boss who has been targeted. And I will talk about that a lot. He's been targeted an awful lot, talking you know a lot about his future since Friday night in Italy. But you have to play, you have to kind of blame, I think, lay some of that blame at the doorstep of the players. I just thought, who's breaking the lines? Who's trying to push the tempo? Jude Bellingham, I thought, was a bright spark. But but we leave games like that, you know, two games heading into Italy, two games before the start of the World Cup, weeks out from the start of the World Cup, because that's all it is now. And what did we learn? Did we learn something new? Did we take anything out of, of Friday night? And I thought we learnt nothing. I think actually probably the only thing we learnt was I think that group with a few tweaks probably was close to a team that Southgate would have maybe started 21st of November against Iran. I don't think Saka plays left wing back, that's for sure. Pickford comes in certainly between the sticks. But that group, most of it probably go against Iran. And that team were just, I thought, boys a mile off it the other night. Jack, this as a result in terms of its significance for England's World Cup plans is, is debatable. Dan's taken the route of, you know, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is still a very good side and, and tweaks is, is probably the right word in terms of lineup between now and that first World Cup game and certainly when England take on Germany tomorrow night. But there is the sense that certain sections of the fan base, maybe it's based on success from getting to the semi-finals in Russia to then getting to the final of, of Euro 2020 and losing to Italy, that maybe they've risen. And I suppose the danger for Gareth Southgate is he doesn't want to see a return to the early noughties and maybe moving towards 2010, where there was an expectation that England were going to perform at a major tournament and they fell short. He's done really well to, to manage that expectation around this England squad. But now you get the sense that old habits die hard within the fan base. It's a World Cup. They're going to be excited. And based on the last two tournaments, England have impressed. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a degree of expectation because of the last two tournaments, as you just said. Um, he has done well in, in managing it, the expectation levels over the last few years. But then when he came in, they were at such a low ebb that I think the fan base would sort of just take some encouraging performances and get to a quarter final in a couple of tournaments. So... They've outperformed themselves in the in the six years that he's that he's been in charge. Um, but there are a lot of people like I think there's a lot, been a lot of people that've been waiting for England to to play badly for a for a sustained period of time. And I think there were mm. there's quite a, you know there's quite a number of people or supporters that looked at the uh, looked at the runs and how how the um, how the World Cup and the Euros transpired in in terms of the draw. I went, well, this is to be expected. They've, they've had quite easy draws. Uh, and there was a little bit of... Um, people were a little bit unsure about the about the tactics being being employed um, by Southgate. But it's very difficult to criticise when, you know, you get to a semi-final and a final. Um, so I think there's a little bit of a hangover from that, actually, that people have just been waiting for the moment to criticise. Um, and 
yeah, there's there, there are there are massive questions as to whether um, they should have actually gone on to have won something in the last few years because of how things fell quite favourably for them. And I think I think the last few months has just been a sort of accumulation of that, really. I want to ask about lineup, Dan, in terms of what Southgate has done in the last few games. Obviously, going back to the the summer UEFA Nations League games, and now this defeat to Italy and Germany coming up tomorrow, because. One of the big points of praise for Southgate at Euro 2020 was consistency in selection and consistency in system and, and in turn, consistency in performance. And the bulk of the players that did start those games for England en route to the final didn't feature against Italy. Now, there there is factors to that. We have suspension for John Stones and there's injuries for Jordan Pickford and for Calvin Phillips. But there does seem to be the sense that maybe not necessarily England's best players, but England's most productive players they're struggling to get them on the pitch and they're struggling to get them performing as it stands. Pickford, Stones, Phillips, Kane, Sterling and Rice started all of those games at Euro 2020. Carl Walker and Luke Shaw only missed one and Harry Maguire did miss two, but part of that was because of his injury at the start of the tournament. That looked to be the spine, the bulk, the majority of Gareth Southgate's starting eleven, And now two months before the World Cup starts, that doesn't seem as sure. Can I just say on Southgate, by the way, boys, I'm really sad that we are weeks out from the World Cup and he's almost having to plead his case that he's mm. the right man for England right now. Knives are out. I, I get he's under pressure, but I guess once the, the, the anger and the frustration of the other night passes, surely no one's thinking less than two months out from the World Cup, let's get rid of Gareth Southgate. I just think there's too many players playing out of position. I mean, Saka, left wing back, touched on that already kind of played right side of a front three for Arsenal this season and it looked really good there as well. Didn't work. Maguire, he's gone out on a on a huge limb with Harry Maguire who looks short of confidence, out of form. I think seven, what, seven weeks out from from the World Cup or whatever it is for England, I don't think Gareth Southgate, and I think for the first time since he's taken over, he's scratching around a little bit. How are we going to go system-wise? And while he still tries to work out what how we're going to go system-wise, that has a massive effect on, on how he's going to go personnel. Maguire plays if he can play a back three. He doesn't, I don't think he trusts a raft of his centre-halves by going with a with a back four and just two centre-halves. That's a cute, you know, we'll see against Germany on Monday night. How is he going to go system-wise? And that will tell us a little more about how he goes with that, with that core, with that, who he's going to go with in in, in the final third. Um, he's got to find a way with the World Cup around the corner almost to, to release the hounds, to get the best of Sterling and Kane like he has previously. Can he get Foden into the team? Is he going to go with a, a three-man midfield and try and get the best out of Jude Bellingham kind of making those late midfield runs? Got no problem with him putting faith in those that haven't let him down previously. I just get that sense, boys, that for the first time under Gareth Southgate, He's not sure. He's not sure how to go, and it's not the best time to have a lot of, a lot of questions. And I think he's he's scratching around for a lot of answers. I think it'd be really, really worrying from an England perspective if they went to a back four against Germany. Don't you think that's the Just best way you go? That, that, would, that we look better with a back four. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is the best. Yeah, I think four three three is is the best way to play, but. He doesn't want to play that way, does he? So if he started that way against Germany, it just it just proves Dan's point that he just doesn't really know what system to play, doesn't know 
how to shoehorn certain players into the team. I mean, they've got a ra- obviously got a raft of right backs, all excellent players, and he's just finding a way of trying to get these players in a team. I mean, Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker only ever played centre half for England, um, and as Dan said, the, the back three decision is because he, rightly or wrongly, he doesn't he doesn't trust the the centre halves at his disposal to play in a two, which I just sort of baffles me a little bit. Um, it's the same. It's the same in midfield as well. It's you know you've got it's all set up to play Rice as number six and have Bellingham and another alongside him that isn't Calvin Phillips and want the ball. Like England have never England are at the best when they don't have the ball, um, but because they've done so well, teams are are respecting them more, so they're allowing them to have the ball and they haven't got the answers to to close um, to break teams down. Well, Jack, let's move on to midfield because this is another question that he's going to have to answer. The idea of playing a back three or a back four is is something that could roll on into the Germany game and then obviously in the, into the preparations for the, the World Cup. But during the Euros, he kind of booked the trend of other major international sides and the big Premier League and European sides by playing a two-man pivot of Phillips and Rice with generally Mason Mount slightly higher up or maybe Raheem Sterling dropping in or, or depending on the, on the game. Most big sides on the international scene and on the club scene play, as you've just mentioned, with a Declan Rice figure as a number six and then two number eights that will either press or look to get forward and and create chances. Is there the concern that Jude Bellingham naturally can do that? But as you've just said, and another, if we could get that printed on the back of of an England shirt, that might solve this. But there isn't necessarily a natural person to fit that role. Calvin Phillips did well as part of a two alongside Rice, but well, that was part of this general overview of six outfield players behind the ball when we're not in possession and then look to break and look to rely on the creativity and the goals of Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. If if England don't have a natural partner for Bellingham as an eight, do they not have to revert back to a base of two? It might be a bit more boring, but it got England to the final last summer. Uh, no, well, I mean, you say there aren't there aren't the players available, you could easily turn around to one of Foden or Mount and say you are playing on the left-hand side of a three-man midfield, this is what you have to do, you're a good enough player to do it, go out and do it. I mean, they're not like, they're not babies. They, they, they should be able to, both of those players will be able to play in that role. I would, as you know, Fergal, I cover the under-21s, mm. Conor Gallagher played on, on Thursday night out in Italy and played in played a little bit further forward, but like, if you want someone that's going to go and press the ball and you want to play that system and you don't feel as if Foden and Mount have the sort of tactical discipline to do it, then play Gallagher. It's, it's some, you know, not everyone that you pick in a World Cup winning team is a world beater, but there are players available to be able to, to fit in that system, which then gets the best out of the better players. It just seems that the most... It seemed for a long time that he's been just a little bit like a Rubik's Cube. He's just been trying to find some sort of, some form of system to get his favourites in, um, which means that, you know, Saka plays as a left wing back. You have two right backs on the pitch. Um, I, just, I don't know. It's just, uh, I'm a little bit confused by it, really. Um, and I don't, I don't think anyone should be, should be confused by uh, the selections this close to a, to a major tournament. Well, that kind of builds me into my next question, Dan, because 
England don't have much time between now and Qatar. Germany tomorrow, that's the final competitive game. As it stands, I don't think there's any friendlies penciled in. But if there is, there's not going to be another competitive test for this set of players and for Gareth Southgate. Would you agree this idea that we're too close to the start of the World Cup for Gareth Southgate to not maybe not necessarily know his starting team against Iran on the first day, but at the moment, it doesn't look as if he knows the system, the tactics or the personnel. They're three massive questions. If you put results to one side and you put the goal issues to one side for a moment, they're three big things that two months away from the tournament, Gareth Southgate is not confident on. I, would, I wouldn't get... I'd, I'd be kind of fearful that we'd get a little carried away on how much England how, or how far off England are so close to the World Cup. There's an awful lot still right for Gareth Southgate and I, I still think it's just a, you know about finding that right system, settling on it and, and bringing the best out of our usually talented, hungry group that have done so well in the last two major tournaments under Southgate. I don't actually think, boys, we've, we've dropped off that much in the in the last 12 months. Results will tell will tell a different story. But I thought those games that we played this past summer in the Nations League were a disgrace. Players dangerously fatigued after another ridiculous Premier League season where, you know, City and Liverpool went at it all season long and our elite teams were playing on multiple competitions, you know, over most of the year to then be expected to play those games. I took nothing out of those games this past summer. Um, And I wasn't overly concerned about much at all until I watched us the other night at the San Siro. I think once he settles on that system and you've got to trust that he'll do that and he'll go back to what he knows and who he trusts, I think he'll, as long as we find that little bit of fluency in the final third, I think I think we'll be fine. I think we'll be... I do firmly believe we'll be ready to, to give it a real good push starting, what is it, 21st of November against Iran at the World Cup but I would like him to try one or two things Monday Ivan Tony, I mean he's got he's got to play hasn't he five goals mm. in his what seven games in the Premier League I, I, I really like watching him for Brentford seen him a lot live this season an ability to link things up similar to Harry Kane he, he, he kind of fits a similar mould to Kane if Kane fell over tomorrow I think I'd probably want Kane to uh, Tony sorry to start in his place I'd love to see Tony get some minutes. Grealish has got to get minutes as well. Um, but, boys, I, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be all right. Okay, we're going to crystal ball it slightly before we take a break. And, Jack, I'm going to go to you first. That game against Iran, you've got the you've got the England suit on. You don't have to wear the waistcoat. You can wear whatever you want. Give I us look great your... in a waistcoat. <laughs> well, you know what? You can have your, you can have your Jack Aldo shirt on. <laughs> you can have your waistcoat, whatever you like. Give us your starting Very quickly, I don't, want to cut across, I don't want to be rude, but I, I was speaking to someone go, the other go. day who quite high high up coach at a Premier League side and he said as part of the, the courses, you know, they do, the UEFA coaching courses they do, they actually do a session on are you a tracksuit manager or are you going to be a suit manager? <laughs> Generally, it is a topic that they cover. What kind of manager are you going to, are you going to be? The guy that wears a tracksuit, you're going to be a guy that, that looks good in a suit. And I was staggered that they actually spent time talking about that. Sorry, Jack, you, you, you crack on. That's incredible. Jack, go ahead. Give us, give us your starting 11 against Iran and also give us somebody who should be in the squad. You've touched on Gallagher there. You can use him again. But if you've got anyone else in mind, someone that you think has to be in England's World Cup squad, go ahead. Uh, so before 3-3, um, Pickford 
James, Stones, Maguire, Chilwell, Rice, Bellingham, Mount, Sterling, Kane, Foden. Okay. He's named his 11. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And you're wild or... Oh, sorry, I thought that was the question. <laughs> yeah, that, what, no, what was, that the was the question. That was the question, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then also your, your wild or maybe not so wild card pick, for the squad at least. Uh, Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford, okay, yeah. He missed out this time. He's like the around. forgotten man, isn't he? He is, he is. And Gareth Southgate has said that if he uh, if he continues his form, he, he has got a chance, but injuries are a little bit of an issue for Rashford. We're obviously going to be touching on Rashford in, in part two and his future at United. Before we break... Dan, give us yours. Your 11, waistcoat or no waistcoat, tracksuit or no tracksuit. Uh, make sure you're wearing something, though, against the RAN. And, <laughs> I was going to say that. And give us a, give us a wild card could, pick could yourself as well. It's too warm out there to be trying out, unless it's the waistcoat <laughs> and nothing else. Um, Pickford, Carl Walker, John Stones. Definitely not Harry Maguire at this moment in time. Um, who plays alongside him? Eric Dyer, Chilwell, Rice definitely, Bellingham definitely. Maybe Rice and Henderson do the mucky stuff, allow Bellingham to go. Feeding, Sterling, Kane and Grealish. I just I Ooh, just haven't okay. seen Phil Foden okay. play well for England. He's an immensely talented boy, but... I just felt that with the with the Euros st- started the team and then just fell further down the pecking order when others had had greater impacts. In team, I think Foden off the bench is a great option, but I I would probably in in games like that Iran game when they're just going to sit and be deep, we have all the ball. I I think I want Grealish running at them. And your wild or not so wild card pick, Tony. Tony absolutely has to go, and he has to go as number two to Harry Kane. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you've heard it here first. The big picks from the Football Social Daily. What Gareth should do. Gareth, if you're listening, make sure uh, you give it a long think before you pick your squad because there's some uh, some excellent choices from the guys. We're going to take a quick break. After the break, we are moving away from international football and switching back to the Premier League. Some big news for Manchester United over the weekend. Marcus Rashford and David De Gea both potentially being offered contract renewals and at Arsenal, Arsene Wenger has popped himself up to put some pressure on Mikel Arteta. He's tipped the Gunners for a first Premier League title in 19 years. No pressure, Mikel. We're going to be talking about all of that after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder for the 2022-23 season, we have a brand new podcast, Football Social Daily Shots. Every afternoon, we're bringing you a mini podcast to update you on breaking news, scores, transfer gossip, interviews, whatever has broken 
after the early podcast or on the weekend. We're going to be wrapping up the Saturday games before I and a couple of guests get stuck into the Sunday review show. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you scroll backwards, you can check out shots from this weekend. Right, we're moving on to Manchester United. Jack, I'm going to go to you first on this. Marcus Rashford and David De Gea, these are two separate stories. Rashford from the Daily Star and De Gea from the Daily Telegraph. But in essence, it's the same story. Manchester United want to invoke their one-year contract extension option on both players. So I want to talk about Rashford first. We mentioned him before the break. You tipped him for an England call-up for the World Cup. He has been good for Manchester United since the start of the season. He's played some important role in what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do. I suppose the big question for Manchester United fans is, everybody likes Marcus Rashford. Everybody wants Marcus Rashford to do well. Is this form or is this finally the the dial being turned and his potential from his teenage and his early 20 years being realised, which would deserve this contract and maybe even an additional extension? Yeah, well, form and t- turning the corner, hopefully for him. Um, I just think he's looked a bit more uh, potent. He's livelier. Um I was at the Leicester game at the beginning of the month. I thought he was—he did, he didn't score that night, but I thought he was excellent and had a massive, uh, a massive hand in the in the winner uh, that Sancho scored. He just—he seems to have a greater understanding of his role under Ten Hag. I know with the you know only a few games into the season uh, and he's not played all of them, but he just looks slightly different. He looks a bit more confident, um, and people forget that he's been quite badly managed over the years really I mean, obviously made his mark and then Mourinho wasn't really having him um, and then Solskjaer just just overplayed him for so long uh, they stopped him from having surgery that he needed because because um, he couldn't afford not to have him and it sort of burnt him out and I think it knocked his confidence and it's taken him a long time to get over that and you're starting to see him just starting to realise his his potential from the from the left hand side. So it'd be really interesting to see how he how he goes on, whether he whether he maintains that under Ten Hag, because you know the criticism levelled at him is that he's really really inc- he or has been very inconsistent. Dan, where do you stand on this? Marcus Rashford is injured at the moment. That's why he wasn't called up for England duty. Obviously, the World Cup will be a factor in terms of overload of games for him if he is picked by by Gareth Southgate and that's been a factor in in some of the previous injury issues that he's had he's 24 years of age now he's approaching the the meat of his career in terms of where you'd expect him to be moving towards his peak and becoming a top Premier League player are you confident that this is the right way for Manchester United to go you know rewind six nine maybe even 12 months there was talk of him wanting to leave which seemed crazy when you think of his connection with the city and his connection with the club he's come through the ranks he's he's adored by the Manchester United fans that does seem to have changed under Ten Hag but has it changed enough for Ten Hag to go all in on Rashford contract extension potentially even a longer contract extension and saying we want you at this club because we think you're going to drive United back into the title race, potentially even Champions League X, Y, and Z, and bringing trophies back to the club. Firstly, just you know, Manchester United business, kind of looking at it from a business point of view, there's no way you allow Marcus Rashford to go or, or potentially lose him for nothing next summer. So, yeah, they have to do business to, to keep Rashford at the very least to make sure 
that he's there for another 12 months. And he has looked revitalised, hasn't he? Under under Ten Hag, was it three goals in his last four games? I, you know, I agree with Jack. Can felt the last few years watching Marcus Rashford. Is he a centre-forward? Is he best for that role? What does he bring to that role? What's he being asked to do? Is he better off one of the sides, almost sort of a, a, a right or left side of a front three or front four? And with that comes responsibilities in the modern Premier League game of tracking back, doing your defensive role. It seems like Eric Ten Hag's just said, you're my guy, you're playing through the middle. He's being direct, obviously he's lightning quick, difficult to deal with for most centre-halves. You know, on on the kind of final shoulder, he's playing with a confidence in front of goal. His his recent goals have have displayed that. And also, boys, look, there must be a part of you thinking I'm keeping Cristiano Ronaldo out of the team. <laughs> that can't be a bad feeling, can it? And and credit to Ronaldo as well. It sounds like of late, since the transfer window has been shut at Old Trafford, you know, Ronaldo has has been pretty helpful to Rashford there's a dialogue between the two that they're working together to push Manchester United forward for the next few months if he continues to play like this yeah it feels like a pretty easy decision for well it's the right decision for Manchester United to tie him down for something a little bit more more significant because he's in that centre forward role he's he's good isn't he he's playing well and and absolutely if his form continues like this he will still be part of that conversation ahead of the World Cup making that late push for Gareth Southgate's squad Jack David De Gea's situation is is different he's come in for I would say on the whole more criticism than than Marcus Rashford and and a lot of that is based on his position he's a goalkeeper you make a mistake you concede a goal you're going to be criticised but he's also in the mould of has a corner been turned has finally he started to settle down obviously the speculation over Dean Henderson taking over from him but there also seems to be this underlying thing that Eric Ten Hag wants a different type of goalkeeper. You don't have to go too far back to the Brentford game where he was culpable for a couple of goals and, and he looked lost. But then things have steadied, United's form has improved and he's obviously going to be number one this season unless something dramatic changes. But do you maybe tip towards this idea that he's been at United for a long time but if they want Eric Ten Hag to, to get what he wants from this United team then David De Gea is not part of that. Yeah, that might that might be what they do. As, as you were saying that, I was just thinking back to um, when Guardiola took over at City and and told Joe Hart within three weeks that, sorry mate, we want to play a different way. You, you're going to have to go. And obviously Hart has held on to that for a long time and is is still not um, particularly thrilled by the bad decision. But then, all right, Bravo was a little bit of a disaster at City, but they, they got it right eventually with Edison. Maybe it will go, maybe you're right, and it will go the same way United with De Gea. I've noticed certainly since the Brentford game, the the they're not um, they're not building up from their own box quite so much. I think they've parked that idea in the uh, in the short to medium term to get results, which I don't think is a I don't think is a bad thing at all from from their point of view. You would give him you you'd give him another contract, or you'd um, uh, you'd take up the the extension purely because you want to protect the asset and there, there will be clubs that want to spend the money on De Gea and so yeah they'll they'll extend his contract definitely but it'll be interesting to see who if they go for someone I think they will and if they do then who it is and whether whether it is Henderson or not I mean the interesting thing with Henderson is I don't understand why they've not sold Henderson if he wanted to go with a buyback option 
which other big clubs do. United don't seem to do that at all. I want to ask about some of the other contract situations at Manchester United, Dan, because it's not just Rashford and De Gea that are in this position of having the option for a further year. There's actually a fairly long list of players. Luke Shaw, Diogo Dallo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Fred, and then slightly further down the list, Phil Jones and Tom Heaton. They're all in a position where Manchester United can offer them another 12 months between now and the end of the season. There's some big decisions for Ten Hag. There seems to be constantly big decisions for for Eric Ten Hag to make, but not all of them are going to be Manchester United players next season. But he has to get the balance right, and a particularly big name on that list could be on his way out of Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, aren't Manchester United making losses at this moment in time? You know, Eric Ten Hag has to a list of priorities and he'll provide new contracts to the areas that he feels is is necessary the De Gea one is is fascinating to me because I could believe he's the only remaining player from the club's last title win um 11 year stay at Old Trafford I think you almost by giving him 12 months you put off that difficult decision maybe keep him more than any other position if you do allow Heaton for example probably set to leave the club this summer you put off the the difficult decision of Okay, if we're going to allow De Gea to go, for example, who are we replacing him with? And in that keeper goalkeeper position, that's that's a more testing decision than other areas of the pitch, in my opinion. Who do you go out and get? Do you get Henderson back? Do you go out and get a Jordan Pickford, for example? Or by giving De Gea at least twelve months at three hundred and fifty grand a week, um, do you put that off and give yourself more time to identify the right person to take Manchester United forward in that area of the pitch long term? I think there will continue to be a big churn of personnel at United while Eric Ten Hag pushes for progression, pushes for change, tries to bring more of his style and philosophy into the football club. Jack's right, you know, a couple of wins of late, but it, a sense after that, you know, humbling, embarrassing defeat at Brentford, it was back to basics. There's a lot for Ten Hag to do and there's going to be a huge change when it comes to to personnel and I think if a lot of players are just naturally coming to the end of their cycle the end of their contracts this summer it will make it a lot easier for Ten Hag to to trim that squad down John Murta was saying in the week that he's not expecting uh, he's not expecting a summer like they've just had which I was astonished to to read those quotes that it was like we, we won't be doing the amount of business again thinking well you're going to have to because this summer was just the start. They need two of those at least um, to reshape the squad. So I was, I was a little bit, yeah, I was, I was a bit confused to read those. And the other thing about the about the losses that came out this week, two million pounds a week they were losing. At least a quarter of that is on Ronaldo's wages. At least, I suspect it's more. So, just wanted to ask you, Jack, on that list of players that we've just discussed in terms of who could be at Manchester United next season and who could be moving on, do you think we're going to see a majority of exits? Or do you think, Ten Hag, when you look at maybe six or seven first-team, at least squad-level players, is he going to want to move that many on? Or do you think the fresh broom sweeping through the club is, is just going to continue? Well, this is what I mean about what Murta said. So if you're taking Murta's quotes on face value, the majority of them will still remain as first-team players next year because he doesn't want that churn. Um, all of them will have the contract, the options on the contracts taken up because they'll want to sell them if, if any of them are going to go. The problem they've had in the past with the likes of 
Phil Jones, Jesse Lingard, is that they take the options up, then they price them out of moves, and then they end up staying at the club two years longer than anyone thought. So they've got to learn the lessons from that because they could easily be walking into another uh, couple of years of having an exceptionally bloated squad, um, which makes getting in the players that the manager wants more difficult. I mean, they went out and got Anthony, didn't they, this summer? Chased him all summer. They panicked, though, Spent didn't they? huge they money panicked. on him. And he, it, just not a priority for, for Eric no. Ten Hag and the areas that Manchester United need to improve. If if players naturally run run their course, I just can't see why Manchester United wouldn't wouldn't say thank you for your service. We're going to go in a different direction, and why Eric Ten Hag wouldn't be wouldn't be push, pushing, uh, you know, needing a fresh a freshness to Manchester United over the next couple of windows. We'll take Shaw for argument's sake. Obviously, Shaw will remain at the club because he's a very very good left back. But if for argument's sake, if Ten Hag wanted him to leave and they didn't take the option up on him and allowed him to go for free. They spent 30 million quid on him. They've got, to, they've got to go and get some money back for him. And it's the same to varying degrees of the other players. I mean, I can't remember how much Fred cost. It was a lot, wasn't it? Is it 50 million they spent on Fred? It's like, they can't just let these players go. It's, hard, it's really difficult. But that the, the, the issue with that... The, the fact they can't let them go for nothing is a byproduct of the really, really bad mistakes they've made over the last five, six, seven years in the transfer market. And they're trying to play catch up for that. And they're just, t- the last two or three years has been spent chasing their tail. And I think they're still doing that. Uh, I've just checked, it was, it was 47 they, they spent on Fred to, to sign him from, from Shakhtar Donetsk. Before we move on, I've got to ask you about Phil Jones, because he was on that list and, and he's the forgotten man or maybe the pariah at Manchester United and, and I see where you're saying they can't just let assets that they've paid money for walk out of the door on free transfers and, and, and not look to recoup something but Phil Jones has arguably become the symbol of the issues that have been going on both on and off the pitch at Manchester United surely he's not going to be offered a contract extension yes they paid money for him to bring him from Blackburn but he, he hasn't played and, and he no offence he's Phil Jones Jack, you can take this one. I forgot what he looked like. <laughs> I actually watched um, in another life when I had another job. I used to um, go to Blackburn under 18s when Phil Jones was was playing, and he was honestly never seen a teenager play like play like Phil Jones did in midfield for Blackburn. He's like sensational, like really, really good. And all I've always liked him and. I think he's a very, very good defender. And actually, if he'd been fit for the last few years, probably would have been in the England team. Um, so it's been a real shame to to watch his career um, go down the path that it has done. But you're right, Fergal, if there is one player in that list that is not going to have his option taken up, then it will be Jones, because they've already tried that um, a few couple of years ago. They, they took the option up on him because they thought they'd get money for him and then weren't able to. Uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be the end for it, and it'll be yeah. I'm sort of kind of fascinated to see whether he keeps going and tries to to make it somewhere else. Which nice. be, I've got a feeling it's going to be Nice. That seems to be it'd be really nice. you know it'd be it'd be really heartwarming if he did go somewhere else and and got himself fit consistently and performed. I I hope he does. Only thirty, isn't he? So yeah. He shouldn't he shouldn't call it quits at this point, should he? Yeah, Nice, maybe America. 
Um, we're going to wrap up, but before we do, I want to ask you about Arsene Wenger and get both of your takes on this. Dan, I'll, I'll go to you first. Arsene Wenger's thankfully given us something kind of bizarre to talk about during the international break because he's been interviewed about his uh, views on Arsenal's start to the season. Obviously, Arsenal going into the international break, top of the table, seven games played, 18 points. That puts them just in front of Manchester City and Tottenham. And Wenger's gone a step further and said that he thinks they've got a good chance of winning the Premier League. Now, he's not just based this on nothing. He said there's two crucial reasons, one of them being the World Cup and the fact that that breaks the season up in a way that we've never seen before and that will benefit Arsenal more than some of the other sides. And he also said that there's not a super dominating team in the Premier League in the way that there has been in the last couple of seasons. Now, Manchester City will have something to say about that. I I kind of can't believe what I'm reading. Right. So I'm going to take a little break and throw over to you, Dan, because... Is this absolute madness? Um, it wasn't that bizarre. I don't think it is that bizarre. I think it's a decent point that he raises until the until the last point you made there about no one dominating. City are are scary, aren't they? With with Erling Haaland doing his doing his thing, um, it's a decent point because I think they I do think they can sustain a Premier League challenge this season. Six wins in seven. Already Liverpool something like nine points set back up back on them after the you know the period of the season we've had already Spurs and Liverpool coming to the Emirates next month I think is will tell us an awful lot about Mikel Arteta's group Jack has been excellent Jesus has been a, a an absolute game changer hasn't he I just I just wonder if they get a few knocks the effect that will have on on the Gunners but but the point that Wenger's make I think is certainly a justifiable one I think we have to debate it because, yeah, I think they are a lot closer to City. And as things stand right now, I think I think you'd, you'd get good money on Arsenal finishing above Liverpool. We're probably trapped somewhere this, Jack, in terms of whether this is a, a wild statement from Wenger or maybe there is some deep-seated logic in it. I would agree with Dan, this idea that there's not a super dominant team is just going to wind City and Guardiola and Haaland up and they've got the potential to just destroy everybody in front of them. Arsenal might be closer to City and probably to Liverpool than they have been in the last couple of seasons, but surely they're still a bit of a distance off. Yeah, I mean, I was laughing about the dominating team point, but they have City have dropped points at Newcastle and Villa um, already this year, so there are ways of there are ways of stopping them. The thing with I mean, the thing with Arsenal, they've not really played anyone yet. They lot, you know, they lost at United and then have beaten teams that you would expect them to beat, which is an improvement on previous years, definitely, um, particularly the Palace game on the on the first night of the season. Um, and they are going in the right direction. However, as Dan said, it's like Spurs, Liverpool, Leeds away in the next few weeks, plus the Europa League. It it could be one of those months where they just fall fall off slightly and City go up through a few gears and, and open up a little bit of a gap, I think. But they are like they are definitely imp- improving. Arteta's doing a brilliant job and they're great to watch as well. Yeah, it's going to be a crucial month for Arsenal when we return to Premier League action. Next Saturday, the North London derby kicks us back off on the domestic campaign. It's going to be a big test, both for Antonio Conte and Mikel Arteta. Right, guys, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Thanks so much for joining us. Dan, on your debut, hope you enjoyed yourself. Certainly did, boys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Magic stuff, Jack. Just another 
another 90 minutes in the tank, another cap for the shelf. Another day at the office, another mate. Another day at the office for Jack Aldo. Yes, that's what you do when you're at the top of your game. It is just another day at the office. <laughs> right, uh, we are going to call it a day for the Football Social Daily. The guys will be back tomorrow previewing that massive England game as they take on Germany. Monday is also Moan Day, so they're going to be getting stuck into a bit of a whinge of what's annoyed them over the international break and building up to the return to Premier League action next weekend. So as always, hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to a brand new podcast as soon as it is ready thanks for listening and we'll speak to you very very soon football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk